listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today I want to show you this because I can't stress enough how important your relationships are. And they do make or break you. Somebody said one time um, that you'll become the average of the five people that you hang out with the most. You'll become the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And so today, I want to show you five relationships that trap you. You've got to get rid of them. You got to get rid of these types of relationships. And I'm going to show you from the word of God why this is so important. They, they trap you. They keep you small. They keep you insignificant. You cannot, uh, you cannot run with them. You know, <laughs> to say it another way, if you want to run with the bulls, you can't hang with the chickens. If you want to run with the bulls, you can't hang with the chickens. It's very true. I'll say it again, not ashamed. It's not a mean thing to say. It's just a truth. It's a truth. It's a universal truth. If you want to run with the bulls, you can't hang with the chickens. It's different. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And so I want to just give you, I'm not talking about specific people, but when I list these qualities, you'll immediately think of people uh, that you know that you're like, yep, that's that person. Yep, that's that person. You'll know immediately. And these are The reason they're damaging relationships that trap you and keep you small is because these people are doing exactly what the Bible says not to do in in any kind of lifestyle. And so I'm going to show that to you. Make it make it like it's a um, a filter. You know, make it a filter. I, I think about the fact that when you go shopping on like some kind of a website, you know, and you're searching for a product. You can, on the side, there's always like a a product filter where you can set all the things that you want. You know, if you go on like Walmart or bestbuy.com, you're looking for a flat screen TV. Well, you know exactly what you're looking for. You might be looking for something that's all the TVs that cost less than $800. So that's a filter. Now it's only showing, maybe you started with, I don't know, 500 TVs in their stock, their inventory, but you set that filter. I want all the TVs that are less than $800. Boom, it dropped it down to 120 TVs. And then you say, I also want all the TVs that are over 60 inches, but under $800. Boom, it just dropped it down to 40 TVs. You say, now I want all of the TVs that are, you know, whatever. And you keep on going, 120 hertz refresh rate. Boom, dropped it down to 20 TVs. Because you put those filters on. The more filters that you put in place to guard your life, the less people will be comfortable around you. When you start, maybe you've noticed this already, when you start going after God with your whole heart, with your whole life, there's people that are not comfortable with that. They're not comfortable with it at all. They they will get uncomfortable and they'll voice the way they feel. Man, you're going to church all the time. Didn't they just have an overflow weekend at Miracle Word Church? You're going to another one. 
Why do they have to have those weekends all the time? How, are you going? You're, I thought you just went to church last week. Why are you going to church again this week? Because that's what people who are on fire for God do. That's what we do. We want to get into the presence of God. We want to be in his house. We want to be around his children. You know, the more you decide to press in, the more people start to get uncomfortable because they don't, they, they can, what the reason it happens is because your diligence actually highlights their lack of diligence. Same thing that happens if you work a job, if you start coming in early and staying late to do extra work and to really give it your all and to be excellent on the job, the people that are barely getting by and just doing enough work to not get fired immediately start to talk. Oh, somebody's trying to be the boss's favorite. Oh, somebody's brown nosing. Looking for that, uh, looking for that promotion, are you? I guess you're looking for that raise. What are you trying to get the boss's job? All those comments start coming out when you try to do more and to be diligent and to be excellent. Why? Because your actions to be excellent and diligent highlight their lack of effort. And so people, they get very uncomfortable. They're real comfortable when you live like they live. Oh, they're happy with it. <laughs> ben said, yes, yes, I am trying to get that raise, that promotion. Yes, I'm trying to get the boss's job. Yes, I am trying to be promoted. That's the whole point. I've been faithful over a little. Now I'm ready to be ruler over much. <laughs> that is the whole point. And so they'll talk like that about you. And if they don't say it to your face, they'll say it behind your back because it makes people uncomfortable. Makes people uncomfortable. Crystal said, it's lonely at the top. Yeah, and the reason that that's a true uh, phrase for a lot of people is because the higher you go, the less people are willing to go with you. You'll find that out. The higher you go, the less people are willing to go with you. Give you an example like this. If you set up a group of friends to say, hey, let's go to the gym together, keep each other accountable. Yeah, sounds good. Let's go once a month. They will all be on board for that. Yeah, let's do it. We can go once a month for sure. You'll have your whole group of friends there. You switch that to let's go once a week. Less of those people are going to join you for that. Yeah, I can't go every week. I've got a lot of things going on. Okay, switch it again to let's go three times a week. That group's going to get instantly smaller. Oh, I can't, I can't do three times a week. I can do like twice a week. I can do once a week. Then you say, let's go every day. Let's keep each other accountable. Let's go to the gym together every single day or at least five days a week, six days a week. Oh man, I, I can't do six days a week. And then they'll come up with all kinds of excuses why they can't. Well, you know, my body can't handle that or you know, I, I got too much going on or whatever. And then, so the higher you go in diligence, the higher you start pressing in, the less people are willing to do it with you. Because not everybody, not everybody wants to go that direction. Not everybody wants to go that high. Not everybody wants to put in that kind of effort. That's why, you know, that's become kind of a common statement. As Crystal said, um, it's lonely at the top. And you don't, I'm not saying that like you have to be lonely. It's just, it, it, the truth of it is, there's less and less people the higher you go. You know, you start talking about fasting with Christians. We're going to fast. Okay. <laughs> okay. How much are we going to fast? If you tell Christians we're going to fast, you know, one day a year. Oh, great. I'm on board. Let's do it. You start talking to people about, we're going to start the year with 21 days of fasting and prayer. Well, brother, I don't know if I can do that, you know, 21 days. You start telling people we're going to fast every month. Oh, brother, I, you know, I don't think that's necessary. 
in a New Testament context. Then they'll start coming up with reasons in the Bible why we don't need to fast every month. And, you know, rather than want to do more, they want to do less. You're just going to find it. And many of you, from what you're writing in the comments, you know it to be true. I know it's true. The higher you go in diligence, the less people will go with you. The higher you go in diligence, the less people go with you. So be okay with that. Yeah, that's right. Jessica said, then they start posting memes about religious people who fast. Yeah, like we're the Pharisees somehow. Meanwhile, the early church fasted two days every week. But it's because they don't want to go that direction. They don't want to go higher. And I understand that the more diligent you become, the less people go with you. And I understand. So here's five relationships that trap you and keep you small that you need to make a filter you need to keep your eyes on this and know I am not allowing this in my life. You have to guard your life. You say, why? Because your life is important. Your life is important. In fact, until you believe that, there's certain things you won't do. And I want you to write it in the comments today. My life is important. My life, that's not prideful to say, it's just true. It's just true. Vera said, yeah, it's the, you've changed for me. (laughs) Yeah, you've changed brother. You're not the same. Yes, you're right. And I'm going to continue to change because I'm going to go higher and higher and higher. Amen. That's right, Erica. Oh, well, I'm going higher. It's not prideful to tell, to say your life is important. Christ has made you important. Christ has made you important. You're a deliverer in your generation. God's called you to do great things. Uh, Ava, I like that one too. I'm worried for you, you know. I'm worried for you. You've been really going hard. Yes, and if you think I've been going hard before, get ready, you ain't seen anything yet. You've not seen anything yet, but your life is important. Amen. You've been bought with a price, as Glenn said. Because Jesus purchased you with his own precious blood, that put value on you. That put value on you. So guard yourself from these relationships that will trap your life, keep you small, keep you small. Number one, say, what, what, what do these look like? I'm glad you're on today too, Pam. Number one, people who live in doubt and unbelief, put it in the comments, people who live in doubt and unbelief. I can't do it, man. I cannot do it. If I hear people talking doubt, speaking doubt, unbelief, I can't do it. I don't have time for that because I've got to please God. And and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six, that's what the Bible says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And those that come to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of who? Those that diligently seek him. So what am I doing? I'm doing that, diligently seeking him because I know that's what faith looks like. That's where heavenly rewards come from, from people who diligently seek him. Heavenly rewards come from that. The Bible says so. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they that come to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
So I can't surround myself with people who live in doubt and unbelief. It's displeasing to God. It's very displeasing to God. All things are possible to him that believes. So the moment you start doubting, the the moment you start living in unbelief, it shuts off the power of God in your life. You say, well, I think you're being, I think you're being a little dramatic about that, brother. No, I'm not. Do you know their unbelief? I touched on it yesterday. Unbelief shut down Jesus' power in their life when he was alive on the earth. Shut his power down in their lives. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And the Bible says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Notice what happened. The moment they lived in doubt and unbelief, though they had the Messiah standing in front of them, it shut down his power in their lives. And all he could do, because he wanted to do miracles, but all he could do was lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief, that lack of faith. I can't surround myself with people who are full of doubt and unbelief and listen to them talk all the time and hear their way of doing things. Well, I just don't know about that, brother. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Full of doubt, full of unbelief. I can't do it. I won't do it. And that's why I guard myself. If I hear people constantly speaking doubt and unbelief, I correct it where I hear it. Say, hey, don't talk like that. We serve an unlimited God. We serve a God that's able to do exceeding abundantly and above all we can ask or think. Don't don't talk like that. Don't think like that. Don't live like that. But if they won't change, why am I wasting my time spending time around people who don't believe God? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Doesn't mean I don't love them. I love them. But time is short. On average, you get about 4,000 weeks to live. On average. You get about 4,000 weeks. If you're my age, you have, on average, I'm not saying this is my lifespan, on average, you have 2,000 weeks left. The average person lives to probably around 80 years old. That's 4,000 weeks. Are you going to waste those weeks? You know, life starts seeming shorter. When you say 80 years, oh, it seems like a long time. Break it down into 4,000 weeks and see how long it feels. And then look at if you're 40, if you're 50 or whatever. I got 4,000 weeks down to 2,000 weeks. And you start to think, hey, hold on. My time is valuable. My time is short. I'm not wasting it. I'm not wasting it surrounding myself with people that don't believe God. Time's too short for that nonsense, and I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And think about eternity. When you keep your mind on eternity, it'll keep the right things in front of your face. You know, time's coming to a close. People don't know Jesus. I've got work to do. I'm called. I have a purpose. I'm not wasting time with people that sit around debating whether or not God can, whether or not God will. When we know his will is revealed to us in his word, and it absolutely is. All things are possible to those or to them that believe. Romans chapter 14 says an interesting thing. This will make you think. This will really make you think. Romans 14 and verse 23. But whoever has doubts 
is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So put these two verses of scripture together. Romans 14, 23, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So what does that mean? That if I'm not walking by faith, according to Hebrews eleven six, my life is displeasing to God. What, is it, what does that mean when your actions are displeasing to God? It means they're sinful actions. If your actions are displeasing to God, they're sinful actions. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'm not going to live my life surrounded by people who refuse to believe God. I will not do it. I need faith friends. Please put that in the comments today. I need faith friends. That's who I'm looking for. Faith friends. That's right, Gina. Unbelief, doubting God. It's wicked to doubt God. It's wicked to doubt him. Say he can't. Say he won't. His word says he will because ultimately we are contradicting the written word of the almighty God. I refuse to contradict the written word of the almighty God. I need faith friends. Hallelujah. And we do. I point this out often just so you understand the importance of faith friends. What if the man who was paralyzed on a mat didn't have faith friends? He'd have stayed paralyzed. But because he had faith friends, they picked him up on his mat, took him to where Jesus was. And even though the house was full, they climbed onto the roof, tore the roof open, lowered him down in front of Jesus. And the Bible says, and Jesus, seeing their faith, that was everyone's faith, not just the paralyzed man, because they had to have faith to bring him to Jesus. And they did. And seeing all of their faith, he healed the man. Glory to God. I need faith friends. I need faith friends. Number two, second kind of relationship that keeps you trapped, keeps you small. People that are complainers, they're unthankful. Unthankful, complaining people. You'll not find me around them. You'll not find me around them. Unthankful complainers. <laughs> I cannot do it. Did you know Israel having strife in the wilderness? Good morning, Tim. I love you. Complaining. Kept them in the wilderness. Their doubt, their unbelief, their unthankfulness, their complaining. Kept them in the wilderness. I refuse. I'm not walking through wilderness. I'm walking in the promise. God inhabits not the complaints of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise him, we thank him. Amen. Let's, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to read to you verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There it is. Give thanks in all circumstances, 
for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Look at that. I'm going to say it again. Give thanks in what? All circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God's will is that we never complain, that we never uh, are unthankful. No. I love it how we get to Thanksgiving week, you know, in November. And then everybody's always going around the table. Let's all say one thing we're thankful for. Okay. How about be that way every day? Be that way every day. What are we thankful for? And then just start giving God thanks. You know what I like? Um, Jess Burton said, I would rather manage someone who struggles in their skill set than a high performer who complains constantly. And I'm sure, uh, because what happens is the more you're thankful, the more you're grateful, the more the, the, that you live that way, you're, you're more humble, open to teaching, to correction, to increasing. You see these, these, these mindsets, these personality traits, they all start to stick together. And so many times these are, these are not all separate people, but these things compound upon each other. You find people that are full of doubt and unbelief that are also unthankful, right? Also complaining all the time. I don't know why he's blessed and I'm not blessed. When's my blessing coming? I never get blessed. He's always getting blessed. And that, that stuff, it just compounds upon each, itself. I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. Not going to be around and put myself around people that are unthankful and ungrateful when the Bible is clear with a command. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so we are called to be thankful, grateful people. You know what I like to do when I'm praying? I like to take the initial time to begin my, you, you've heard me say it before with prayer, thanksgiving and praise sandwich. You say, what do you mean by that? I like to put, <laughs> thank you, Orlando. He threw the willy boom into the broadcast. I like to put, uh, I like to put all my requests in the middle, like the meat of the sandwich. I like to put my requests and the things I'm uh, asking God to supply. But I like to put on either side of my requests, Thanksgiving and prayer to start, Thanksgiving and, uh, excuse me, Thanksgiving and praise to start, Thanksgiving and praise to end. And that means, and I call it a Thanksgiving and praise sandwich. Why? Because it, it sandwiches my requests in the middle. And if you looked at the two pieces of bread on the sandwich, they're Thanksgiving and praise. I start my prayer time by giving God thanks and praise for what he's already done. And that's scriptural. Psalm 150, praise him for his mighty acts of greatness. That's a command. We are to praise him for the things he's already done his mighty acts of greatness. And by the time I've finished sufficiently thanking and praising him, I'll take a quarter or more of my prayer time just to do that. Then when I've come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, then I'll go further and petition him for the things I'm believing for. And then on the other side, when I'm done asking him for what I'm, I'm believing him to do, I'm making my requests known unto God. Then what? I will finish by thanking and praising him for what he's about to do, for his greatness. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're going to do what you said you would do. You're not a man that you should lie. No, you, you don't ever have to take your word back. 
You don't ever have to change your opinion. No, if you said it, you'll do it. If you spoke it, you'll bring it to pass. Lord, I thank you that your word is always true. I thank you that it's coming to pass in my life. I thank you that it's manifesting quickly in my family, that we will see the best days we've ever seen because you're great and greatly to be praised. There's no power like your power. There's no God beside you or above you. You're the only true and living God. You're my creator. You're my provider. And I just start thanking him and praising him like that at the end. Because I made up my mind, I'm always going to be the thankful, grateful one. (laughs) Mackenzie said, don't give him a flatbread praise. Give him a thick old sourdough slice of praise. Amen. Let that praise sandwich be a thick slice of bread on both sides. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Now you made me hungry, Mackenzie. Now I'm sitting here hungry in the middle of the broadcast for a sandwich. Um, but it's true. You know, what's interesting talking about this Thanksgiving and praise when those 10 lepers came to Jesus, they were essentially breaking the law of Moses. They weren't supposed to come out of the leper colony back into normal society. Um, but they did because they believed Jesus would heal them. And he said, I will, I will be made whole. Go show yourself to the priest. They left to go show themselves to the high priest to be declared clean. But one of them returned to do what? Give thanks. One of them returned to give thanks. And what happened? As he was coming back, Jesus said, hey, weren't there 10 of you? The man didn't even comment about that. He just began to thank Jesus. And he said, now you go your way. Your faith has made you whole. He didn't say that to the other nine. They were just cleansed of the disease. So I like to think of it this way, knowing that leprosy is a flesh eating disease. Maybe leprosy, leprosy left their body when Jesus cleansed them, but maybe they were still missing their body parts. Their ear had fallen off. Their nose was eaten away, their skin eaten away, but they had no more leprosy. But the man who came back with thanksgiving, the man who came back with praise, he didn't just get his leprosy cleansed. Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Hallelujah. And you can't be whole without your ears and your fingers and your nose and your toes. And the same thing uh, that happened for all 10 of them was the cleansing. But the thing he got through Thanksgiving was restoration of what was lost. He got an ex- I've even read Bible commentaries that the scholars that have written these commentaries agree. There was some sort of additional blessing that this man got that the other nine did not get because of his Thanksgiving and his praise. I made up my mind. I will always be in position for additional blessings through thanksgiving and praise. Amen. I will always be in position for additional blessings through thanksgiving and praise. Make it up in your mind. I'm not surrounding myself with the ungrateful and the unthankful and the complainers. I'm not hanging with that. If I'm going to run with the bulls, I'm not hanging with the chickens. Amen. Amen. I'll give you this. Number three, liars. Don't surround yourself with the liars. Say, so, well, you know, his word's not. Well, why are you hanging with them all the time then? Well, you know, he talks. I don't know everything he says. I don't know if it's true. He talks so much and he's, he, a lot of times what he says is not even true. It's a liar. Why are you hanging out with liars? Their word can't be trusted. Always telling things that are false. You know, God doesn't just hate lying because he loves the truth. He hates lying because he is the truth. 
you ever think of that? God doesn't just hate lying because he loves the truth. He is the truth. What did Jesus say? Gospel of John chapter 14, verse six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. He is the truth. Jesus Christ doesn't just love the truth. He is the truth. So lying is literally opposed to the nature of Christ. That's why he hates lying. We've taught our children. We've taught our children, listen, if you do something that you're not supposed to do, tell dad and mom. Tell us. Tell us that you've done the wrong thing. And if we question you about it, tell us that you've done the wrong thing. There will be less punishment if you tell us that you did the wrong thing than if you do something wrong and then lie about it. Because if you come back and you lie about what you've done, the punishment will be far greater than if you would just admit that you did something wrong, that you disobeyed, that you made a mistake. Yes, there'll be you know punishment for that, but it'll be far greater if you try to be deceitful and you lie about the thing that you did to try to save yourself. Because my wife and I have ingrained that into the kids, lying, terrible. You know why? God hates lying, hates it. Go to Proverbs 6. Proverbs chapter 6. And that's right, Satan is the father of lies. Proverbs chapter 6. Let me read you verses 16 through 19. There, the Bible says, there are six things that the Lord hates. That's strong verbiage. Hates these things. He's not just displeased. He hates them. Seven that are an abomination to him. Number one, haughty eyes. You know what that is? Prideful people. Prideful people. Scott said, unfortunately, my job puts me in contact with these kinds of people. Yes, for sure. I totally get that. But what I'm talking about, obviously, is making them people that are your friends, that are, you know, you're, you're making relationships with. Haughty eyes, that's prideful people. But number two, look at this, a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue, hates it. Look, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. Look at verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. Let me stop there for a second. In this list of the seven things God hates and that are an abomination to him, lying is listed twice. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Lying is listed twice. God hates a lying tongue or a false witness who breathes out lies. That's pretty wild. When the Bible's just listing only seven things that God hates and two of them are liars. <laughs> you know what I hate? I hate liars and I hate liars. It's God saying by the Holy Spirit, I hate liars and I hate liars. Yeah, I'm going to get there in a minute, Christine because that's taken me into my next point. This is a great transition here because I'm going to go further. A false witness who breathes out lies, look, and one who sows discord among brothers. 
Joanne, we're in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Look at that. Hates liars. But finally, one who sows discord or division among brothers. That takes me to number four, the fourth type of relationship. You know what that is? People who bring division, people that are critical, sowing discord among friends, among brothers, bringing division. Let me tell you, I, I will, I, I understand, Joanne, you're welcome. And those that are in the comments can, and can help others by putting these passages of scripture in the comments section. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying it, Christine. People that bring division, people that sow discord, God hates it. Let me, let me tell you, I've been in the church world my whole life, as you know, since I was a kid. And I've seen church splits happen because people got in there and brought division and people got in there and brought problems and they sowed discord, not even knowing God hates it. I, it, you would be, you're in a bad position if you're putting yourself in a place to stand in a position that God hates. Why would you stand in a position? I mean, I can't even believe, I can't even think, I can't even imagine how God views it when people split churches up with division and discord. God hates it. He hates it. Liars, false witnesses that breathe out lies, and people that sow discord among their brothers. God hates it. There's nothing more wicked. You see what God did at the very beginning of, of the book of Genesis? You know what happened? There were all, all those pagan people. What were they doing? Building a tower that truly, if you study it, um, they were building a tower, not just into the heavens, talking about the Tower of Babel, but a tower devoted to the heavens, if you study it, more about astrology and worshiping the heavens. It was pagan worship. God said, I'm not, this is a wicked thing that they're doing. It's a wicked thing that they're doing. And, and look what God did in order to stop them from accomplishing their purpose. He said, I must go down and confuse their languages. What is he doing? He's bringing division into the enemy's camp. Why is God bringing division into the enemy's camp? Because God knows how destructive division is to accomplishing your purpose. The moment God, God brought division to the people at the tower, that's why it's called Babel, he confused their languages, and, and then they couldn't understand each other, there was no unity and they could no longer build. They could no longer go higher the way they wanted to. He said, if I don't do this, there will be nothing impossible to them. Think about that. God's saying, if I don't bring discord to their unity, anything will be possible to them. He said that about pagan people. God said that about pagan people because of their unity, because of their oneness, because they're working together in perfect harmony. Anything will be possible to them if I don't confuse their languages. Look at this. 
Interesting passage, 2 Chronicles 20. Three armies had, what, united against God's people. Come together. They were opposing armies that had joined together. Am and Moab and Mount Seir come together to fight one common enemy, God's people. But what did God do to fight their battles for them? Israel. As they praised him, what did God do? He went into the enemy's camp and did what? Brought division into the enemy's camp. So what was the result? The Bible tells us they all drew their swords and began to fight one another. The armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir began to fight one another. They were previously united to fight against God's people. Previously united. Perfect harmony, ready to go to battle. But then, God's people started praising. God fought their battle and caused division and discord. And they fought one another until, the Bible says, all of them were destroyed. And by the time Israel got to the lookout point in the wilderness and looked down into the valley, the Bible declares all they saw were dead bodies because every one of their enemies had been defeated by themselves. They killed each other. Division destroys. Put it in the comments. Division destroys. I would not want to sow that seed into my future. I would not want to sow that seed into my future. People leave. I see people, you know, you, you go, you go around this country, happens all over the place. And the pastor's, you know, doing what he's called to do and he's teaching and preaching. And then you know what happens? Then you have somebody that gets offended in the church. And so they go and they say, well, you know, I don't agree with it. I'm going to go start my own church down the road. And so they go in, they split the church. They take half the group and go start a church somewhere else. I, my pastor doesn't know. And so I'm going to, I'm going to come in. I'm going to start my own church. And they leave and bring division and discord and God hates it. It cuts you off from the blessings of God. And I'm going to tell you something, those churches that you see where people leave a church and they say, I'm going to go start my own church and I'm going to, and they go start it. And the whole seed of that beginning of that new church is rebellion because they got offended with their pastor and they left and started another church. I'm going to be the pastor now. I'll do it my way. He doesn't know what he's doing. Okay. You just planted that whole thing on a seed of rebellion. You know what your harvest is going to be? Rebellion and destruction rebellion and destruction. I've seen it happen a hundred times. I've seen it happen a hundred times. I don't want destruction. I don't want uh, failure. I want to see God bless. But if I'm going to see God bless, I can't be doing the things he hates and then ask him to bless me for it. Now, God, I know I'm a liar and I know I've sown discord among the brothers and I know I bring division wherever I go, but bless me anyway. No, you can't ask God to bless the things he hates. And he hates them. Bible's clear. He hates them. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm showing you this because you'll never be small in Jesus' name. You're never going to be small in Jesus' mighty name. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
So how, how are we to interact with those around us, our brothers, our sisters? According to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, don't let corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only talk that is good for building one another up. If I talk to you, then what I say to you should build you up. Even if I'm, think about this, even if I'm a, I'm a, I'm your pastor. I mean, you, I, I may not be your pastor. If you're watching, you may live in another state, but even if I'm your pastor and I give you correction, even my correction should build you up. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. Even my correction should build you up, which means correction is just direction. God doesn't correct you because he wants to see you fail. He corrects you because he wants to see you flourish. He wants to see you go higher and higher and higher. I always use the example of your GPS. If Siri or, or Google Maps tells you to uh, take a turn, you're on 95 and you're trying to get, to, you know, get somewhere in Miami and you're staying on, I'm not getting off. You're trying to get somewhere in West Palm Beach and say, listen, take exit, whatever, 76. No. I'm not, who do you think you are telling me where to go? I'm not taking exit 76. I want to keep right here on 95. You can stay on 95 if you want. It's not going to take you where you're trying to go. If you're going to get where you want to go, you have to accept the correction of the GPS. Accept the correction. That's course correction. You're staying on 95 North. You need to get off the exit. The restaurant's on this exit. I'm not getting off. I'm staying on right here. I know where, okay. The, the, The GPS is course correcting you but you won't receive the course correction. So you'll just end up anywhere you want to go, but it'll take you longer to get to the place that you need to go because you won't accept correction. That's why correction is just direction. And even if a pastor corrects you, it should build you up, should build you up and say, Oh man, I can see that is something in my life that needs to change. I need to, I mean, I need to alter that. But again, People allow themselves to walk in pride and then they can't receive correction. That's why the Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I don't want to fall. I don't want to be destroyed. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep pride and a haughty spirit out of my life. I'm telling you as a man of God, as a pastor, I want to keep pride and a haughty spirit out of my life. Amen. I said, amen. I I want humility and meekness. Those are the keys to greatness. Humility and meekness are the keys to greatness. I don't have time to teach on that, but I could show you throughout the word how humility and meekness are the key to increase promotion and greatness. Amen. Let me read you another one real quick. Colossians chapter three. These are important. Mark them down in your Bible. Mark them down. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Listen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord's forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, of these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's powerful. You need to highlight those three verses multiple times, underline them, put brackets around them in your Bible. Go back to them often. 
Let me say it again. Bearing with one another. The New Living Translation says, making room for one another's faults. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let me tell you something. We push for holiness. As children of God, we push for holiness. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're a member of Miracle Word Church and you've had something happen, you make a mistake, you fall short of the glory of God, whatever. Don't ever think, I can't go to church. I can't be in church. What, what a, that's how the devil wants you to think. Well, I've made mistakes. I, I feel guilty now being in the house of God. I, I can't go. No, that's where you need to be. That's where forgiveness is. That's where your encouragement comes from. That's where your building up comes from. We're there with one another to build up, to lift up. You're not going to remain in that defeat. That's one of the things that God's anointed us to do together as we've launched Miracle Word Church. I'm there to prophesy, to encourage, to bring you higher. The body of Christ has gifts that are set into it. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. So let me tell you something. Never feel like, if you're a member of this church, even if you're extended family, don't ever feel like, well, I've been messing up. I've been making mistakes. I can't, I don't, I don't even want to show my face in church. I feel, no, no. This is the place where you come to be encouraged. This is the place where you come to be built up. This is the place where you come to receive edification. To hear the fact that you're not going to, I don't care how the devil's attacked. I don't even care. You know, if you've made a mistake, it's not going to be your story in Jesus name. It's not going to be your portion in Jesus name. It turns quickly and you're right back on track, right back towards your victory, right back towards your increase. Yes, we push for holiness. You better believe it. We preach holiness. We believe holiness. We're pushing for it. But just because somebody makes a mistake doesn't mean that their story's over. No. Be quick like David was. Be quick to repent. Be quick to come back into the grace of God and run towards your vision. You're going higher. You're not going to be destroyed in Jesus' name. You're not going to be destroyed in Jesus' name. And so division's dangerous. I'll give you one more uh, for this point, then I'll give you the last point. Romans chapter 12. I know this is, this is one right here that has to stay in front of our eyes all the time. Romans chapter 12 and verse number three. What does it say? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't become prideful. Don't go around thinking that you're everything. It's one thing to know who you are in Christ. It's another thing to do what I told you to do at the beginning of this program. Understand, I'm important. My life's important. But when you get to a place where you're so prideful, you're looking down on other people. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. We're all one in the body of Christ. We're all one. One blood, one baptism, one name. That's why I don't believe in black churches and white churches and Puerto Rican churches and Korean churches and Jamaican churches. I just believe in Holy Ghost churches. Why should we be separated by our skin color? Well, this is actually, brother, this is a white church. What's a white church? This is actually, brother, an African-American church. What's an African-American church? 
Why are there no black people in your church? Why are there no white people in your church? How come there's no Latinos in your church? How come there's no people from the Caribbean in your church? You know what I mean? Why do you have a black church? Why are there no white people there? Why are there no black people there? Why are there no Puerto Ricans there? Why are there no Colombians there? You know, I understand if your church is like in Antarctica, (laughs) but I mean like if you're anywhere in America, why is there only one race of people in your church? That's not how the gospel works. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. All men, not some, all. All kinds. Rich men, poor men. Black, white, Latino, doesn't matter. Asian, doesn't matter. All men. I don't like division of any kind. And when we start looking down on other people, For whatever reason, we're in a problem because now we're in a place where we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I refuse to be there. I walk in humility and no. That's why I always tell people, if you're gonna compare yourself with somebody else, compare with people that are far ahead of you than people that are behind you. Don't be like the Pharisees that say, well, at least I'm not like them. No, don't do that. Look at people that are doing what you're called to do but at a much greater level. And then compare yourself. That's why I love to keep people in front of my eyes. I was blessed to be, you know, I love to go to see uh, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, my father, other ministers. I, I enjoyed sitting under the ministry of Pastor Paul Anichi, largest church sanctuary in the world, 90,000 seat sanctuary. Bishop David Oyedepo, who's laid hands on me more than one time, getting ready to build a 107,000 seat dome soccer stadium. And you look at these men, there's no way for you to become prideful. Say, well, I just launched a church and, and, and look how wonderful. No, look ahead of you. Say, man, I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of things I got to accomplish. This is just the beginning. There's no way to get prideful. There's no way to get prideful when you're comparing yourself with people that are far beyond you and say, like, look what's possible. I'm not there yet. I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of work to do. I've just scratched the surface. We've just begun And thank God for where we are. And thank God for what he's done so far. But we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Keep your eyes in front. Pressing towards the mark, the high calling Christ Jesus. Amen. And then we we can't get prideful when we do that. It's impossible. Because if you think you're the best there is, look ahead of you. There's far more people ahead that are doing far more than we're doing. And we will never forget where we came from, but we'll never forget where we're going. Finally, let me give you this. Don't hang with lazy people. That's number five. Lazy people. Hate that. God's looking for productive people in the kingdom. God is looking for productive people in the kingdom. Let me say this again. If you're just on, put those slides back up. We're doing these overflow weekends. If if you weren't on in the beginning, we announced this, put put it up and, and let's see. Uh, First of all, we've got Overflow Weekend coming up August the 4th through the 6th. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What are we doing? We're not not backing off. We're pressing in. We're not doing less. We're doing more. We're pressing in to the presence of God. So we're coming together Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're not getting lazy with our Christianity. We want more of God. Friday at 7, Saturday at 7, Sunday at 11. Going after it. And then September. First through the third, we're going again. Overflow weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
Why? We want more. We want more of God and his power and his manifestation in our lives, not less. Not less. And so we're going after it. We're going after it. Amen. So what was number four? Number four, we talked about um, critical people. Critical people. Number five is lazy. I can't, I cannot put myself around lazy people. It's displeasing to God. Did you know when, when I talked about a little bit yesterday, when the master came back to talk to his servants and he'd given one five talents and one two talents and one one talent. When he talked to that man with one talent who had buried it in the ground, which means he had basically just maintained, didn't work, didn't press for more, just maintained, coasted through life. When the master talked to him, you know what he said? You wicked and lazy servant. You know what that means? The master looks at a servant that does not produce because he's lazy as wicked. It is wicked to not produce. It means that you're either not properly connected to the vine or you refuse to do what the vines told you to do. It's wicked. It is wicked to not produce. People are like, are you serious? Yes. It is wicked to not produce. If you go through let me, let me say this. I know this will be a heavy word for people to hear. If you go through an entire year and you've not won anybody to Jesus, that is wicked. That is wicked. Say, really? Yes. If you've not personally led anybody to Jesus and an entire year goes by, that is wicked and God's displeased with that. You've been given the gift of eternal life. You know what's coming. You've got the answer. Who is Jesus? You're filled with the Holy Ghost and you refuse to get anybody else saved in an entire year, that's wicked. Look at the people drop off quickly. <laughs> people are dropping off the broadcast like it's the Titanic. <laughs> you bring a heavy word. I gotta go, I think I gotta go to the bathroom real quick. No, God's looking for production. He that wins souls is wise. Amen. God's looking. God's looking for people to produce. What's God's number one agenda? The souls of men and women. The souls of men and women. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His number one desire is to see men and women receive Christ as their savior. Number one desire. How can we go through a whole year and see nobody, not see one person saved in our life? We can't do that. We've gotta be producers. Hallelujah. We've got to be producers. I can't be, we can't surround ourselves with laziness. Go back again one more time to, um, to uh, Proverbs chapter six. And let me read you this. The Bible says, verses six through 11, Proverbs six, verses six through 11. Go to the ant sluggard and consider her ways and be wise because without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like an armed robber. Want like an armed man. Yeah. You see. Don't let, do not let laziness overtake your life. What did Jesus say to his disciples? We must work. 
while it is still day, this is the gospel of John chapter nine and verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still daytime for the night is coming where no man can work. The night is coming where no man can work. And so that means Jesus put an urgency to produce in the lives of his disciples. And then watch this. They worked so hard, so hard. You know what happened? They wouldn't stop. They just kept going and going and going. And then watch this. They worked so hard that when they got back from their work, Jesus told them, now, this is a verse 30 of Mark 6, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and all that they had taught, Mark 6, 30. So they got that word from Jesus and went hard, so hard that Jesus could see they were going too hard. So you know what he said to them? Verse 31. And so he said to them, now come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They were so busy, they weren't even eating. Think about that. So busy, they weren't even eating. And Jesus said, now you've gone hard. Now come away and rest yourself for a while. Rest yourself. Because God wants you to work, but he doesn't want you to burn out. He wants you to be diligent, but he doesn't want you to burn out. Lord dealt with me about that one time. I was running hard week after week after week, just constant revivals nonstop. And I was in another country somewhere preaching, getting ready to preach that night. And I was so worn out on the verge of burning out. And I said, Lord, give me a word for your people tonight. And I heard him very clearly in my spirit. He said, you know, you're not my only worker. You're not my only worker. I said, what? He said, yeah, I got workers all over the world. It's all right if you take a little bit of time to yourself. Huh. So God wants us to work hard, but not so hard that we burn out. You know why? It's more beneficial to the kingdom that you're able to work hard for 60 years rather than to go hard for three years, burn out, and never work again because you burn out and had a nervous breakdown. Right? It's best to pace and go hard and then rest, and then go hard and then rest. I like watching how my father works. I like watching how Pastor Rodney Howard Brown works. That they'll work hard and go hard, but then they'll rest hard. We work hard, we play hard. I like that. Time with the family. Time to rest your body. Time to rest your mind. Amen. And it's good. God's not displeased. He's got workers all over the world. Doesn't mean that we give up our work. No, but take ample time to rest yourself. But then when you're back, go at it. Go at it with everything you've got. And when you surround yourself with people like this, the opposite of what we talked about today. So just to run that down real quick, what does that look like? Well, I want faith friends. I'm gonna, instead of doubters, I'm gonna fill my life with people that are full of faith. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to fill my life with people that are praisers and people that are thankful, that never complain, that are never moaning and uh, no, praisers and people that are thankful. I'm going to fill my life with people who not only tell the truth, they love the truth, that are full of integrity, that speak the truth in love. 
I'm going to fill my life with people that are not critical. They're people that build others up, that are encouraging other people, that are bringing unity in the body. That's who I'm going to fill my life with. And then finally, I'm not surrounding myself with lazy people. We don't have lazy people on the Miracle Word team. There's not one lazy person on the Miracle Word team. Not one. Everybody that we have are people that are diligent, people that are go-getters, self-motivated, because that's who we are. That's who we are. I love you, Brother Glenn. And so I'm, gonna, I'm surrounding myself with people that are diligent, hardworking people that take the kingdom seriously. Amen. If you'll do the same, it'll change your whole life because who you surround yourself with is who you'll become. Run with the bulls and you won't have to lay with the chickens. Run with the bulls. You won't have to lay with the chickens. I pray that today God puts a fire in your belly to diligently guard your relationships. Harshly guard them. And say, I'm not just letting everybody have access to my life. I'm not just letting everybody have full access to me and my family. I refuse. I'm guarding that because I I see where my family's headed. I see where I'm going. It's a place of victory. It's a place of production. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's going to be your story in Jesus' name. I see it. You're going to be full of glory. You're going to be full of manifestations. You're going to be full of testimonies. God's taking you higher and higher and higher. And there's no cap upon which that which God's called you to do or what he's called you to be. There's no cap. There's no limit to how high you can rise in your calling, in your personal purpose. There's no cap. You're going higher and higher and higher by faith in the mighty name of Jesus. So you ought to thank God today and give him praise today for where he's taking you and what you're anointed to do because your life is important. You're going to another level. These last six months of this year, it's our reaping season. We're going to reap everything God has for us. It's time to take what God said is ours and we're going to have it. By the time we get to December 31st, our minds will be blown. That's right, Trinity, ever forward, never back in Jesus' name. Our minds will be blown. Our minds will be blown. You know, when are you coming up? Let me know when you're coming up. You haven't, you haven't come and stopped me and talked to me yet at the church. Tell me when you're coming. Tell us when you're coming. We're, we want to see you. Your mind will be blown with the goodness of God in your life. Talk about being serious for the kingdom. I'm going to give you an opportunity to sow today because we're talking about every area of life where we're serious about kingdom work. Serious about kingdom work. Because we want to see God do amazing things in America before Jesus comes. We're not laying down, please. We're not giving this nation to the devil. I refuse. I refuse. You refuse. Amen. We're going to see God shake this nation by his power. And we're doing everything we can. You're partnering with us. You're standing with this ministry. That means that you're a part of what we're doing. And as you sow your seed, as you partner with this ministry, if you've not partnered, listen, jump on board. Become a part of what God's doing with Miracle Word. Me and Carolyn doing everything that we can to accomplish God's purpose that he's called us to accomplish. You're a part of that. So you can go to the website, miracleword.com. You can actually click the partner page, see all that we're doing if you don't know. But join us. Join this army of believers that will not lay down or bow their knee to the spirit of this world. Join this army of believers 
and watch what God will do in your life. I could sit here and just give you testimony after testimony. People said, man, since I've been sowing, since I've partnered, everything's gone higher. Of course, because God honors you for doing it. God honors you for doing it. I think the enemy will go as far as he's allowed to go, Yanil, without being restrained. We're restraining him currently. When we're removed, he'll be able to do what he wants to do. But he tries to do everything he can, takes, takes as much ground as he can that he's allowed to take. That's why we're standing in faith and doing what we're called to do, which is to destroy the works of the devil. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.